I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Kadian Pau, who came up with an amazing hair and beauty range in her kitchen in Birmingham. Frustrated that washing and detangling her hair took a good two hours, she started to explore ways to speed up the process by watching home remedy tutorials on YouTube. Then she set about making her own conditioner using her microwave. She was so pleased with her finished product that she made additional pots to give as gifts to her friends. And they loved it so much they suggested she started selling it. Since then, she has gone on to invent products to help with everything from stretch marks to kids' eczema. We've just been um, ingesting a lot of negative messages in society about black hair. There is a little bit of a, a contempt there. We see it as something that is harder to manage or it won't behave or we have to sort of like bring it under control. I was um, juggling three jobs and I started my PhD journey. Well, it, it took me about a year before I shared with anyone until I felt ready and I started giving things away um, as gifts. Of course, my partner was testing and experiencing everything and every formula that I was making. <laughs> Birmingham has become a really great incubator for this talent um, with black hair care and beauty brands, almost as if it's like a, a neo-industrial revolution center. I really feel like I've found my purpose in life. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying myself. Welcome back to Brummy Mummies. My name is Zoe Chamberlain. I'm a journalist, author and mum. I launched Brummy Mummies as a community for families to help people to connect both online and in person. My goal is to share with you stories from the most inspiring mums and dads to help you find out how they juggle family life and everything that comes with it. So let's get straight into talking to Kadian about her beauty tips and why, as an American woman, she loves living in Birmingham. Hi, Kadian. Thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Hi, Zoe. Thank you very much for having me. So Born Beautiful Naturals, it's a fantastic product. How did you come up with the idea? Well, I came up with the idea for the first product, uh, avocado smoothie conditioner, because I was looking for a conditioner that was going to cut my um, detangling time in half. I have very curly, very dry hair that gets easily tangled, and I hadn't really found the best solution before that. I um, I came across I used to watch YouTube a lot with the, with hair tutorials and I the algorithm led me to a woman who was making a really simple conditioner in her microwave and I was fascinated by this and I thought oh my god can I do this too and I thought it's worth a shot starting with like the simple building blocks and trying to figure out what exactly I needed to get what I wanted um and that's how it started I found raw ingredient suppliers in the UK. And I, I bought the things that I needed according to that video. And that's where I started in my in my garage. Wow. So I know you, you told me that it took you kind of like two and a half hours to, to wash and, and detangle your hair beforehand. Yes. Gosh. Yes. So it was a big, big process. It was a big process. Um, Partly because I wasn't properly taking care of my hair before I got to wash day. So if 
I was neglecting my hair. It was getting more and more tangled. I wasn't, you know, moisturizing it um, between the wash days. And so that just allowed the situation to get out of hand. So by the time uh, it came to shampooing and conditioner, things were a huge mess and it just took a really long time. And I don't have a lot of patience, which is always the wrong thing when you're trying to um, take care of, you know, very curly or textured hair. You need to have patience with it. And I didn't. So I needed a compromise. Okay. I need to spend less time doing this and also try to find a way of embracing, you know, what I have. So how much of a difference did it make to you when you created this um, avocado product? Well, it cut the time down by half. Wow. I have to say that part of that is better uh, management of my hair before I get to to wash day. So I don't allow it to get as tangled. But even when I do, I don't spend nearly the amount of time detangling um, as I did before. Now, it did take me seven different formulas to arrive at the one that I currently have. But when I got there, it worked beautifully. Uh, You're so right that there are so many YouTube videos about home beauty remedies. Why do you think it is that so many of us struggle with our hair? You know, I don't don't think that it's an area that is uh, of, of care or caretaking that's emphasized when we grow up. And I think for everyone, not just Black women, when we're little, our mothers um, or sometimes another caretaker is usually in charge of our hair. And they're not necessarily explaining the process or talking to us about the type of hair we have. And a lot of times they don't even know. And when it comes specifically to Black hair, um, I think a lot of us struggle because our mothers, our caretakers didn't learn how to take care of um, natural Afro hair. And so they don't have those skills and resources to pass on to us, just the limited things that they have. And sometimes there is a little bit of a, a contempt there for our hair because we see it as something that is harder to manage or it won't behave or we have to sort of like bring it under control, which is, of course, not a great, you know, sort of approach to um, our hair. But we've just been um, ingesting a lot of negative messages in society about black hair. So we're not taught about it, even uh, very skilled and learned stylists who go to school for this. Most hair academies, cosmetic beauty academies, they don't teach about black hair textures, the diversity of them, how to approach them, the different patterns, how to take care of them. So you have an entire industry that also is undereducated about black hair care. That's so true. When you think about what products are called, it's always kind of Tangle Tamer and Frizz Control. Right. All... Frizz Ease yeah, Control. So it's yes. not about nurturing <laughs> and caring for it. Right. <laughs> I think that's changing, but for a very long time, it was very much about bring this under control. Mm, yes. <laughs> so what was the reaction from other people to your product? Well, it, it took me about a year before I shared with anyone until I felt ready and I started giving things away um, as gifts. Of course, my partner was testing and experiencing everything and every formula that I was making to, 
to see what it was like. Uh, but I gave, I remember giving it to, um, I sent some things to my family in the States, um, my mother, my grandmother and aunt, and then a friend of mine who's a fellow um, a PhD student at the time here in Washington, now Dr. Nicole Andrews. And um, I remember she came back to me because we'd regularly meet up and go for lunch or something. And she said, hey, that thing that you gave me, can you um, give me some more products that you make? Just anything that you make, I will pay you for them. I'm going to give them to my family members to try. And I said, okay. She was the first person to pay me for anything that I had made. And then she was also the first person to specifically request that I make something um, to use on her children. So I think her giving me that boost, of course, I had really great feedback from my family in the States as well, but they were my family. So I kind of didn't trust it. <laughs> I thought, well, you guys are biased. <laughs> Gonna love what I make. So I don't know if I can trust your opinions, but Nicole had no reason to offer to pay me for to try, you know, the other things that I had made. And a lot of the things that I made at the time, I'm not selling because I was just kind of experimenting, except for soap. That's the only thing that I'm still uh, selling uh, in addition to the conditioner. Yes. So tell me what you were doing work-wise at the time, because you were really busy. You didn't have time for a two and a half hour hair wash and detangle. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did not. I was um, juggling three jobs and I started my PhD journey. So in 2014, I started a year, I was a year of a lot of change. I started um, working at Aldi. I started my part-time PhD journey at the University of Birmingham. I was also a seminar tutor at University of Birmingham for a first-year um, sociology course. Um, and I was also a writing tutor at um, for the, the academic center um, at University of Birmingham um, that time. A, a lot of this sounds like really busy, but a lot of these, it would be one or two days a week and it would just be my full day. And then Aldi would take up um, a lot of the other time. And I, what I realized is that thinking about my PhD and thinking, you know, with that kind of left side of my brain, that I needed a creative outlet to um, kind of reconvene with myself and find some peace um, and settle my mind. Um, and experimenting with these ingredients and reading about cosmetic chemistry. I know it's it sounds very scientific, but for me, it was very creative and very fun kind of alchemy. Um, thing to play with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was alchemy because so many of these formulas, of course, there's a science and there are these essential um, elements that need to come together to create a cream or, um, you know, a, a shampoo or body wash. But there's so much artistry when it comes to the formula making and how they make you feel and smell and, you know, what they do for you. So was there a light bulb moment when you realized you could actually create and expand your own brand or, or did it happen more gradually than that? It happened more gradually. I don't think there was an between I would say between 2014 and 2016. I wouldn't say that there was a aha moment, um, but I remember when 
Nicole was urging me to sell my products. She was like, you could really make something of this. And I I was apprehensive because, because I had self-doubt. I thought, well, there are plenty of, you know, sort of beauty brands out here, not as many as there now are. But I thought, I don't know what my USP is. I don't know what would be the point of me doing this. So I sat with it for a very long time, but it wouldn't leave, the thought wouldn't leave my head. And I just thought, I reached the point uh, in 2016 where I thought, if you don't go for this, if you don't try, then you are really going to resent yourself in the future for not having tried. Um, and I thought, well, what's the, you know, what's to fear if it doesn't work out? Because I wasn't aiming for that to be my main future anyway. It was a creative outlet for me. Um, but I would say by 2018, when I saw that people were really reacting positively to the formulas, despite our less than wonderful aesthetic look at the time in terms of our labels. It's much better now. Um, I thought, oh, there's really something here. People are really getting something out of these formulas. It's not just about, oh, this is a cool new brand. There was some kind of emotional attachment that they were deriving. And I realized that's what I want. That's the impact that I want to have on people's lives. And I began to see it, this brand, as a part of the purpose that I want to serve in the world. So I started to become really serious about it. Yeah, because your products have helped um, kids with eczema and different skin conditions as well, because obviously we need to explain that it's gone on to become much more than just hair products. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I mentioned my friend Nicole earlier, um, you know, asking me to create the first formula that was um, for anybody else. And that became something called Hair to Bomb, which is um, a, a mixture of oils and butters for um, Afro-textured hair. But we have women with all kinds of textures that have found use for it. Um, but it was created for kids. And sort of developed um, along those lines, being a brand that parents can feel confident in um, using our products like on their children. And um, a friend of mine uh, who was pregnant, uh, I made her what I called a belly bomb at the time um, so that as her her skin was stretching, that she'd have something, she'd keep it nice and moisturized and soft and experience less pain um, with the stretching of her skin. So anyway, I took that formula and I thought, hey, you know what? This actually feels kind of good. Maybe it can be a lotion. And I bottled it and I gave it to two friends of mine um, who had already encouraged me to make other products. Um, and they came back and they said, you know what? This is really nice, but it's way too thick. Is there any way you could thin it out, make it into a pump, do this? And I thought, okay, let me play around and see what I can do. And it became what we call oat-rich lotion. And I remember... Um, Again, with Nicole, she's going to be so famous in this podcast. <laughs> After she had her third child and we went out to um, to lunch, it was at, at Damascene. I remember she took me to the bathroom and she uh, she lifted up her shirt. And she's like, look, I want to show you how my stretch marks that um, have like gone down, that they've disappeared a bit because I was using your lotion throughout the whole like uh 
pregnancy and afterwards. And I thought that is amazing. Of course, that was not never anything I was going to advertise because I'm like, I can't prove that. But that is amazing that it did that for you um, and your skin. But, uh, you know, we have... Uh, families, both children and adults that use this that have found relief in the oat-rich lotion. Um, the I have a, a retailer, the Clean Kilo, down in um, South London, and she said it's the top product that her customers use. They come and they fill their own containers because um, it's a zero-waste store um, uh, of the product and, and, and buy it by the 100 uh, grams there. Brilliant. So tell me, how did you come up with the name Born Beautiful Naturals? I I knew I wanted something that was a play on the idea of being born into our own beauty and not needing to change ourselves in these huge ways or um, that take us outside of ourselves. I wanted to emphasize that what you have, and I think especially for Black women, because so often we receive messages that we're not enough or our forms of beauty are not the right type. They're not the most beautiful. They're not the most feminine. So I wanted something that made me and all of us feel beautiful and right just as we are. Um, and I live in Bourneville and the name of the village. Um, it's named after a brook called the Bourne Brook, a small body of water. I'm also an island girl. I was born in Jamaica. I'm a Cancerian. It just really all started coming together with the idea of water and balance and moisture. And so I thought, yeah, that's it. Born Beautiful Naturals, you know, spelled B-O-U-R-N, because that's also where the brand was uh, founded here in Bourneville. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you said you used to live in Washington, D.C. So why did you yes. move here? And, and how does living in Birmingham compare to living in Washington, D.C.? <laughs> I moved here for the reason that I think a lot of people would change their whole lives for love. Uh, I fell in love with my partner and we decided that um, at the time before I uh, marriage equality passed in the U.S., this was five years before, that it was going to be best for us to move to the U.K. where we could actually be together. Um, because immigration-wise, um, I could not um, get a fiancé or marriage visa for her because it was not legal in the U.S. at the time. So we decided to move over here, and I left my job um, with one of the Smithsonian um, museums, and I moved here in 2010, uh, in April. So I've lived here for just over 11 years now. And in comparison, I know people will get really down on Birmingham, but I will tell you that when we were talking about where we wanted to move, I said, I want to move to Birmingham. I came here on a business trip with her uh, once. And I remember, is a feeling of being home. I only get with certain cities that I have traveled to. And when we came here, I loved being surrounded by all the different like cultures. There was a lot of Caribbean cultures here. There were um, Indian cultures here, which is also in my background. I come from a very Creole country in Jamaica. So it felt like the right place to, to move to um, for us. So, And I don't regret that. So... <laughs> And so um, has your business t taken over your home now? 
as you can see behind me, you can, the audience can, that yes, this is my office. And half of it over here is given over to uh, my business. Obviously, I converted my garage, um, which meant that we then had to redo the loft to create more space up there so that the things that were in the garage could go in the loft. And I've also taken over some of the loft and part of the guest room as well. So yeah, (laughs) I'm taking over my house. So how do you take it from being a project that you just make at home to something that you sell in in shops and online? Well, that involves making sure you go on to um, (laughs) gov.uk. Well, now it's gov.uk, but um, before it was through the EU um, portal. Well, it means that you need to set yourself up as a sole trader You also need to figure out, well, what are the rules and regulations regarding cosmetics in the UK? Uh, Because to sell your things to other people, they have to make sure they're safe. So it's something that you have to get done called a CPSR, which is a cosmetic safety report. Um, Sending formulas off to um, a lab to be tested, to make sure they're not going to grow mold, that they're properly preserved, that they'll last for a certain time. And you get a report um, that says, okay, your products are safe and um, non-toxic and can be sold uh, to the public. So those are probably some of the most important um, aspects if you want to sell your products to um, the public. It's phenomenal how it has grown. I mean, it's your business is now worth £90,000 a year. Is that right? That That's what we turned over last year. Fantastic. Yeah. So in terms of worth, of course, if I went on to um, Dragon's Den, I would be saying it's worth a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just amazing because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'd love to have a go at doing that. But to actually make a success of it is 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 fantastic. So what would be some of your beauty tips that you might be able to share with our listeners? Yeah, so, well, I'd say when it comes to hair care, um, especially if you have highly textured um, hair, uh, one thing that I often find that women um, and men mistake is that they think adding oil to their hair means they're moisturizing it. It does not. Please disabuse yourself of that right now. In order to moisturize your hair, it needs, the product needs to contain water, or some water derivative, aloe vera juice, uh, you know, coconut water, anything like that. If it doesn't contain some element of water, it's not a moisturizer. It's not going to moisturize your hair because there's no moisture in it. That I think is one of is the number one mistake that oh, I that's encounter. That's interesting. So people who think yeah. that maybe olive oil <laughs> and things like that, coconut oil, that's not good. Yeah. The number of women that come to me and say, you know, I use coconut oil on my hair or I use this kind of oil, you know, on my hair, but it's still so dry. And I think, yeah, because it hasn't gotten any, you haven't hydrated it, right? So you haven't moisturized it. So to moisturize your hair, it's a mixture of hydration. So it's a water-based thing and some kind of emollient, which is like an oil or a butter. When you mix those two together, then you've got a moisturizer. But without it, you don't have if if it's just emollient, all you have is something that's going to make your hair greasy. It may make it shiny and it may make it more pliable and easier to handle. But what it's not doing is moisturizing it. 
Ah, that's interesting. So that one, and I would say another thing uh, I often find is that people with oily skin think that oil is bad for them. It's not. It's fantastic for our skin and it also helps with balancing the skin out because sometimes oily skin doesn't understand or people with oily skin don't understand that their skin is dehydrated um, even when it is producing uh, oil um, because sometimes your skin will be dry, your face is overproducing oil because it's suffering from the lack of hydration. So it's the oil glands are overproducing. So I would say to people with oily skin, don't be afraid of oil, especially something, an oil-based cleanser or um, using something that has uh, oil in it, non-comedogenic uh, oil in it as a moisturizer. Don't be afraid of it. It's actually really good and balancing for your skin. That's good to know. And so would you recommend using night creams, that kind of thing? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think night creams are great. And certainly um, as we've gotten older, because even though I have oily skin, as I've gotten older, I found that my skin does need more moisture. It does need something extra at night. So, yeah, I certainly uh, advise, um, a, you know, a, a weightier moisturizing cream at night. And, you know, don't neglect your hands either when you're, you're when you're moisturizing at night. Do that before you go to bed too. take care of your hands. They're one of the first you know, signs of showing our, our age. And I think we abuse them a lot. I know mine get abused a lot in the work that I do. So don't neglect That's those. That's so true. And, and what <laughs> age do you think we should start using night cream and looking after our hands and that kind of thing? I actually think the younger you start, the better. The products and the type of products and the weight of them should change as you get older. But I do, I do like the trend that we're seeing online and in social media with um, skincare, although I do think it is a point of exploiting people with this whole idea of you need 10 products to take care of your skin. You don't. Um, but I think it's a good idea to start younger. And I have had a mother who, for as long as I can remember as a young child, was always doing things to take care of her skin um, and her body. So I sort of grew, I grew up seeing that and understanding that a beauty routine was something that I needed to develop to take care of myself. So yeah, I think you should be starting with a routine from your teen years. Something simple, but start young so that you get used to the practice of that and then change up the products as your skin changes or you change uh, environments. So what's your beauty routine? My beauty routine. So in, well, at night I cleanse my face with um, an oil cleanser. It's actually something we used to sell. We, we stopped selling it um, for a while. We may bring it back. Um, I use a toner and then I apply um, uh, a little bit of uh, a retinol treatment uh, on my face uh, and then I use uh, a moisturizer that I also make <laughs> um, that we no longer sell right now. I'm advertising all the things that we don't sell right now, but that's what I use on my face. So it's and an eye cream. So it's five steps that I use at night. And in the morning, I wash my face with our so sensitive um, sulfate free face wash 
and toner and moisturizer. So it's um, four steps in the morning and eye cream, four steps in the morning, five steps at night. So whilst you've been working on uh, Born Beautiful Naturals, you've also been busy in your academic life too. So tell me a bit about how the two overlap (laughs) and, and, and a bit more about your interest in the growing black business sector. It's funny because for a while I didn't think that they overlapped, but in the last, I would say, year or so, I'm beginning to entwine them a lot more. So in I I told you I started on my working part time on my PhD in 2014, but I started all over again in May of 2015 with a different topic. I finally um, passed my Viva handed in in May of this year, so I'm now officially Dr. Katie and Powell. Congratulations! And, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, a lecturer at Birmingham City University in sociology and Black studies. And that's where um, I think a lot of the overlap uh, is, is my interest in Black studies, is in Black feminism and the sociology of Black hair. Those two things tie in really well with the brand that I have because my philosophy and approach to the brand are very much rooted in Black feminism. This idea of well, what if I based a brand around centering Black women and their needs, and then I offered those things so that anybody who wants to benefit from that can benefit? And that has been the case because we have customers of all sorts with all uh, different hair types that use either our hair care or our skin care. But whether it's been hair or skin all of it has been based on the needs or challenges or problems that Black women have um, approached me with. Of course, I am one of those women um, as well. And that interest in sort of centering um, Black women in a way that most of the cosmetic industry does not, and most of the the hair industry does not, um, has really given me a niche and a focus, a way of bringing joy and purpose and a way of practicing my academic like theories and outlooks in something that is really tangible and practical. And being in this business has meant that I have met and spoken to and interacted with um, a lot of other Black women who have started brands, a lot of them in the Birmingham area. You know, this is... quite a lot of them already. It's amazing success stories. Birmingham has become a really great incubator for this talent um, with Black hair care and beauty brands, almost as if it's like a a neo-industrial revolution center again, for the 21st century um, with a completely different uh, demographic. So it's been amazing to watch. And so when I see the success of like one brand, I just think, man, that person started three, four years ago, just, you know, on YouTube or in their kitchen or with a single product. And so I'm really proud to be part of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to be part of it right now while it's all happening. Yes. And I think the other thing is uh, I, I want my my brand to grow, to be able to get funding and employ um, people so that I can have the time to devote to some of the the academic related things that are, interest me with regard to uh, this whole industry, because I think it's really important to document the the journeys and the experiences 
of these women that are um, really flourishing right now um, and not to forget about it or um, neglect that it's happening or that it happened um, in the future, because we don't know what's going to happen um, in five or 10 years um, and, and the people that they've inspired. So I'm very interested in capturing um, this momentum in some way. Well, yes, because we can all learn from it, can't we? And mm -hmm. ha has doing this changed your outlook on life at all? Oh, completely. I think, uh, not to get sort of philosophical, but I really feel like I've found my purpose in life. <laughs> and I, I'm really enjoying myself. Running a brand has so many different complexities and there's so many skills that you learn and you learn a lot about yourself and how much you can test your limits as well. I think you also learn to accept the things that you're not that great at because time becomes very valuable to you. And you think, well, I can either spend X number of days on a course trying to understand this thing and still not be amazing at it, or I can pay somebody to do this and get what I need and devote myself to something else that I know that I will be best at doing. So it really kind of focuses you in that way. So I'm really happy that I don't want to say I fell into doing this. I, I sort of I fell into cosmetic um, chemistry and and you know making these things. But it, I have flourished as a person through what I've been doing through this brand and found you know an essential part of myself. So I'm really happy that I'm doing it. That's a great life lesson. I think we could all be quite inspired by that. I know. I, <laughs> I wish that for everyone to to find their purpose. Yes. So we have a series of questions on the podcast that we ask of all of our guests. So I'm going to fire them at you if that's okay. Yeah. Number one is, what would be the two things you would tell your 18-year-old self if you had the chance? Wow. I think I would tell my 18-year-old self to listen more to your inner voice um, and the ways that it's trying to guide you and less to the external voices about what you should be doing. Yes. And the second thing I would say is that life actually gets really fun when you're in your 30s. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would tell my 18-year-old self. Because I think when you're young, you think that you know everything and you want to get everything in. But I feel like I really started to enjoy being a woman once I hit my mid-30s. And I'm really enjoying my life now that I'm over 40. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, because you, when you are 18, you kind of think that 40 is ancient, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, so question two is, what are the three things you love to do every day? Um, so what gives you a great routine, start and end to the day? Oh, my favorite thing I've I've found that um, well two oh two of the things happen right after each other and they happen in the morning and if I don't do this my day is off and I feel a little irritated but I have to have coffee in the morning like a great big mug usually I do two um, but sometimes I take one with me and I have to have cuddle time with my dogs in the morning oh I love that 
<laughs> it's my quiet time where um, before, you know, I open up all the emails and start tending to people's requests and needs and responses or writing or whatever I have to do. I just had that little moment with them. They love to cuddle. And I just get a real endorphin boost from that because all they want to do is like lay on my lap and like, you know, for me to stroke them and to feel loved. And so to greet, not greet my morning, but to have one of the first things I do in my morning after feeding them and doing coffee is to just give love is really nice and to get love back. So that's a really great, peaceful um, part to my day. Um, And I will also say spending the evenings with my partner, with my wife, that on evenings where I have to work and do other things, I just really feel destabilized if I don't have that connection, um, connection time with her. And I really enjoy making dinner as well. It's a good time for me to cook. Those are things I feel like I have to do in my day to feel like a balanced person. (laughs) Yes, and they give you the good headspace. Yes, yes. So what are your non-negotiables as a businesswoman? I will not do something because everybody else or every other brand is doing it. I will not do it because of that. Um, That if it doesn't make sense to me and it doesn't, feel like it aligns with my values, then I'm just going to have to miss out on that thing and I'm not going to feel bad about it. And the other thing is doing something that um, without integrity. Uh, That's a big piece for me that I have to have integrity um, in the things uh, that I do. Those are, I think those will take me, uh, I think those cover a lot of ground. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So lastly, what would be the one piece of advice you would give to somebody thinking of starting their own business from home? I would tell them to think about what it is that they want to do and why they want to do it. I would tell them to start making or designing the thing and work on it first and really make sure there is a great passion there. And then I would tell them to investigate the kind of legal ramifications of what they want to do. Um, For me, the passion comes first. And if that is a driving force, then you figure out the rest of the information that you need to have in order to put that passion out into the world. Yes. That's good. And how do you juggle everything when it's all at home? Do you <laughs> do you have to kind of step away from it? Yeah, you do. So, um, you know, I, I need to have at least, well, we have, I have two uh, rooms in my house where absolutely none of this business is. And so I know I can go there and not think about that. And I also, uh, or um, uni, so I don't work in those rooms. I don't do work in my bedroom right? That's just for sleeping um, and watching TV and and other things. And in the sitting room also, um, I don't work in there either. So I don't bring my work in there and I don't bring my work in my bedroom. So if you work from home, definitely have some boundaries in terms of places in your house where your work is not allowed to spill in there because you're going to need some respite and you're going to need to have um, a, a safe space. And I have a schedule. So there 
um, are certain times of the day where I have to be doing other things besides, you know, with my my business. Um, and when you're a dog mom like me, you know, <laughs> the babies have to have a schedule. So I have specific things I have to be doing throughout the day, keep them on their routine. So what dogs have you got? As well. I have um, Shih Tzu Maltese. Uh, a blend, um, two little dogs. They just turned nine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And clearly bring a lot of joy. They do. What's the next step for for you and Born Beautiful Naturals? The next step for Born Beautiful Naturals is to secure some funding so that we can scale our business. We uh, have some of our formulas in development to be produced by a professional manufacturer. Um, and because of cost, I've had to start with, um, you know, one batch of products. We haven't been able to put them all in at the same time. So um, I'm looking for either an investor. I'm also applying to some grant programs to get some funding to be able to scale that up so that we can offer our products in more places and in greater quantities um, so that we can grow the business. I would love to make it my full-time work within the next year um, or two so that I can then choose the other projects that I want to engage in and be able to hire and um, hire people, you know, to work with us. Sounds like a plan. Oh, well, it's been great to speak to you, Katie, and thank you so much for joining us today. And I wish you so much luck and success with the business. Thank you so much for your support, Zoe. I've had a great time and those were great questions. Thank you for having me. You can read Kadian's full story on our Brummy Mummies Facebook page and on the Birmingham Live website. And you can find out more about her amazing products on her website, Born, that's B-O-U-R-N, beautifulnaturals.uk Brummy Mummies is a laudable production brought to you by Brummy Mummies and Birmingham Live You can download or stream the Brummy Mummies podcast on all major podcasting platforms including Spotify and Apple Be sure to follow our Brummy Mummies Facebook page for lots more family information and whilst there sign up for our free newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode See you next time